catch me when I fall. Catch me when I fall. Why don't you guys take a seat? Fantastic. Jesus, you are the only one. I'm kind of excited for this month. We've come out of a month of looking at God's immeasurable love for us. And if you are a first-timer here today or if you've only been here for a few weeks, we are entering a series today that we're calling Equip. And what you'll see is that uh, communion is coming around because I thought what better way to start a month on equipping than to take communion together. So as the elements come around, I encourage you to take them. And I'm going to talk a little bit about communion before I, before I talk about the equipping series. And I want to take just a few moments to reflect on this time of communion. Growing up in the church, I actually dreaded communion. Growing up in the church, I came from a church where when it was communion time, the deacons and the elders would sit up there on their big thrones and there'd be three on either side and the pastor would be in the middle and that there would be this very ritual feeling understanding. But one of the reasons why I actually dreaded this period of time was because I had just celebrated praising and worshipping God and putting my hands in the air and it was kind of like one of those balloons where you pop a pin in it And all of a sudden, all the air is taken out of it and it felt deflated. And this was my view. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. And Paul is speaking to the people of Corinth. And he's slightly cranky. If I went back a few verses, he's actually slightly cranky with the people of Corinth. Who knows that Paul got slightly cranky with the churches? But the reason that he got slightly cranky with them, because he was a little bit like me growing up, in that they had started neglecting communion. They had started seeing communion as this thing that was had to be there, and it was this deflating time. And so he said this to them. Let me go over with you again what exactly goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I, this is Paul speaking, received instructions from the master himself and I've passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread, having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And then Paul said this, what you solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to the meal again and again until the master returns. And then he said this to them, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. This is Paul to the people of Corinth. In October 2017, we paused to recognize it was 500 years since a German monk by the name of Martin Luther went up to the door of the All Saints Church. Maybe it was the All Saints Church that Andrea was from. 
And he nailed his what was called the 95 Thesis on the door of this church, effectively denouncing the ritual basis of, of Roman Catholicism. And we're not going to get into what the Reformation was, but, but this was to be known as what was called the Reformation. What was to follow swept through Europe and ultimately turned much of the way Christianity did things on its head. One of the striking physical changes that happened after this time, 500 years ago, was was this before and after effect for communion. Prior to the Reformation, the priest would actually go to the altar and he would take the bread and the wine and it was proper wine 500 years ago. None of the grape juice that we use, I'll guarantee it was proper wine. And he would take the bread and the wine and what he would do is that he would then turn his back on the people and he would present to God. What happened after the Reformation was the priest would come to the table and instead of presenting God and turning his back and instead of presenting God with gifts and sacrifices from the people, he would present the gifts and sacrifices of God to the people. And there is a fundamental difference with this. There was a striking difference in that communion is about acknowledging that God is the host and we receive. God is the host and we receive. And if we are recipients of any sort of gift, it is in order for us to say thank you. When we receive a gift, we should be saying thank you. The Greek word for giving thanks is actually eucharisto. Verge is not here, is he? Any of my Greek friends? Eucharisto, which is actually where they get the term Eucharist from, which some denominations and movements still use for the term of communion. And Paul's reminded the people of Corinth in this passage I just read that to stop treating the Eucharist, to stop treating this time of communion with contempt. Stop just taking from God and treating it with contempt, but actually realize He hosted, we received, we need to give thanks. The point Paul is making is this, is that we can get caught up with the elements of communion. How often we do it how somber we are when we take it, how full our communion juice was. I receive emails if our communion juice is not too high. And Paul was saying to them, we can get caught up with the elements of communion and actually forget the elements of communion. So I'm just going to encourage, we're just going to take one moment now And I'm going to encourage in this time of communion that as you take the bread and you take the wine, that you actually treat this as the Eucharistal, where we give thanks to God and say, thank you, God, that you died on the cross, that your body was broken, that your blood was spilt in order that I may receive salvation. And because you hosted that, and because I can receive, I give you thanks. I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to ask you to spend 30 seconds, a minute, 
as you take the elements and say thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you at this time that you did send your son to die on the cross in order that we may receive what was the ultimate gift. There is no greater gift than the sacrifice of your son. And to this we say thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. I want you to turn your attentions in a moment to the screens. In just one moment, Silas, I'm going to get you to turn your attentions to the screen. Just before I do, I'm going to just talk a little bit about uh, our our series on Equip, and we set this up. And today I just want to set up this series because I am excited for this series. And that's probably a good thing because if your senior pastor is not excited for a series, then it's pretty hard to actually sell something or other to you. But I don't believe it's about selling anything. We are in the series called Equip Week. Well, actually, we're in the series called Equip. Equip Week starts next week. And can I encourage you, I'm not even going to go and try there, Dunny, because it'll go on social media and it'll be really bad if I try and floss. Huh? Hey? It's kind of something like... Huh? Something like this, isn't it? Is that really bad? Anyway. <laughs> we, are in, we are in what we call a series on equip. Do you know what, Natalie? If I went any quicker, I'd put my hips out. I'm getting older. There's a passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul reminds us this. Paul reminds us this, that the church has been blessed with apostles. The, the church has been blessed with prophets. The church has been blessed with teachers and preachers. Do you know what? God has blessed this church with all of those people. You don't have to be an apostle, a prophet, a preacher, or a teacher to stand up here on stage. We see it in our ministries every single week. Our kids' ministry, there is, there is teachers in there that are astonishing. In our worship team, we had over 40 here doing masterclasses this week. In our, in our youth and our young adults, we, God has blessed us in this place with apostles and prophets and teachers and preachers. But he says this, Paul says this to the Ephesians, I have blessed you with this. But he says, the responsibility now is to equip God's people to do his work in order that we can reach out and build up others. We don't just get a gift to go, thank you, God, how good are we, look at us. There's 15 prophets over here and a number of apostles and teachers over here. God said, I give you these gifts in order that you will equip the rest of the people in order that we will reach out a nation. We're not stopping at South Hobart because that's doing God an injustice. Today at three o'clock, be part of the birthing of something new. Be part of the birthing of something new. We are going at three o'clock today to the Huon Valley to pray for a new church in order that we will reach the people. I kind of feel like preaching today. I really feel like preaching today. I haven't had a meal from my wife in the last few days. I'm kind of a little bit malnourished, but I really feel like preaching today. My wife's a good cook. 
Church, can I encourage us? We need to birth this thing in prayer. I said to our leadership team, and I'm really serious about this, we will not open the doors of a church in order to make ourselves look good if we have not birthed this thing in prayer. Why? Because the Bible tells us, by the way, Candace, just to make you feel better, my Bible's getting a little bit trashed as well. Trash your Bibles, people. Trash your Bibles. The point is, in the, in the Acts, in the early churches, what did they do before they started anything up? They met together and they prayed. They met together and they fellowshiped. Do you know what? Go down today, grab a coffee with some friends, carpool, do whatever you need to, take your kids down there. Let's birth the Huon Valley in prayer. The areas that are broken down there. Sharon and I got to meet with the mayor this week. Do you know what? Doors opened that we did not even know were going to open. That is not of us. That is of God. Revelations 3 says to us, God will open the doors that he wants to open. But he wants us to be able to walk through them. And God is opening doors in the Huon Valley. I'm meeting with the elders of a church down there. Sadly, about six, eight weeks ago, they lost their pastor. He passed, he, the, their pastor died. And they actually reached out and said, can you just help us? And that was our purpose from the start, was to help the churches that are already there, that are already doing a great work. We're not about going down there saying, look at us, we're bringing a new Woolworth store, come and do this. What we're saying is there is people down there who need God and we have apostles and preachers and teachers and everything in between. And our job is to equip others in order that we can build up, in order that we can reach others, in order that we see souls won. So I encourage you. Get down there today at 3 o'clock. Be, be one of those people where you can put it in your diary and say, I was at the first prayer meeting. I was at the first prayer meeting to start the birthing of a new church. Who knows what's going to happen down there? God knows. When that church is seeing 200 people every single Sunday morning and souls won, don't you want to be the, to say that you're there to, to, to pray for it first up? I know I want to. I'll be there. Let's go down. Let's birth this thing in prayer. I said I was going to turn to the screens. We are going to turn to the screens. Thanks, Silas. Have you ever been faced with the daunting realization that you were wrong about the world, wrong about the way things are, wrong about why they're that way? blocks from my house, I came to an intersection where I always turn right, but decided to take a left. I was surprised at how different this neighborhood looked, and it was less than a mile from my house. I noticed little details that raised questions in my mind, like 
Why is this man just sitting there at 7.30 in the morning drinking? Is he one of those people you hear about who'd rather live off of food stamps than work at a job? And what about these kids? Shouldn't they be getting ready for school? Don't their parents care enough to tell them not to play in the street? How do these people live like this? Where's their self-respect? And what about this kid? Where are his parents? What chance does he have growing up in a place like this? Most of the people I'd seen in this neighborhood started out just like him, and this thought began to chip away at my assumptions. Maybe I was wrong. Something about that experience clung to me, and I began to run through that neighborhood almost every day. I found out that the man I had seen works third shift every night but he still can't afford to cool his old drafty house. So he sits outside on his front steps and tries to cool down with a cold beer. He hasn't seen his daughter in two weeks. She's supposed to stay with him on weekends, but she keeps canceling. And as for the kids playing in the street, their mom has to take three different buses to get to her first job. And by the time she gets home from her second job, it's already dark outside. Before I knew it, the curiosity that kept bringing me back to this neighborhood had turned to anger. I was angry at the dad who wasn't there for those kids. I was angry at the crummy little convenience store on the corner that charged twice as much for groceries as a store that I drove to. I was angry at all the systems that were supposed to help these people, but were only driving them deeper into dependence. But most of all, I was angry at myself. These were my neighbors. God, I ask for forgiveness for my assumptions on others. I ask for forgiveness for when I've turned right and I've failed to even look left. God, I seek forgiveness for the times when I've had opinions on others. Because of the way they look, what they might have or what they might not have. Heavenly Father, I just pray that individually as a church that we may step forward, that we may turn left, that we may see those who are broken and be, be, be prepared to walk alongside. Thank you, God. I've titled this message, You Have the Credentials. You Have the Credentials, which is a question I have been asked on numerous occasions. What credentials do you have to run the church? And my simple answer is always the same. 
None. Donuts. I have no formal qualifications. I do have a degree in paramedicine. In fact, I have a numerous postgraduate degrees in health leadership and critical care and emergency management. I'm qualified to jump out of a helicopter on a flimsy wire. I'm authorised to administer 38 medications. And I have a piece of paper that allows me to actually certify that somebody's dead. Yet if it's a matter of credentials, I am not qualified to teach, to preach, to pastor and to most definitely lead a church. Because I am not equipped with a piece of paper from a theological college. And in fact, I can't even spell the word seminary. Yet Paul tells us this. Paul says, when Christ accepted, when Christ ascended, he gave the gifts. He equipped those who believed. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and that when he rose again, my sins were forgiven, past, present and future. So I have the credentials. The point is this. I'm going to point the fingers at me. Many times we haven't turned left, not because we lack the desire or don't want to, but because we feel like we don't have the credentials to. How can I reach out to a man sitting on his porch at seven in the morning having a beer? How can I reach out to a single mum who's trying to raise three kids? How can I reach out to the guy who's... who's been unemployed for four months and he's struggling with life. How can I reach out to the dude who's just come out of jail? I'm not qualified for it. I'm going to give three quick points this morning as we set up this series. First one is this. It's not the credentials, it's the passion of the heart. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4. Interestingly, I'm talking about no credentials. Acts was written by Dr. Luke who was probably a well-educated physician who had many credentials. Acts chapter 4. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests and the chiefs of the temple police and some, and some Sadducees came up, indignant that these upstart apostles were instructing the people and proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them and threw them in jail until the morning. For by now it was late in the evening, but many of those who had listened had already believed. In round number, about 5,000. The next day, a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The rulers, the religious leaders, the religious scholars, uh, Anais, the chief priest, Capias, John, Alexander, Bob, Fred, everyone was there. Everybody who was anybody was there. They stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and they grilled them and said, who put you in charge? Who gave you the credentials? Who equipped you that you could speak to others? What business do you have doing this? That's what they said to them. With that, Peter, who is one of my favourite characters in the Bible, full of the Holy Spirit, full of courage, let loose, I love that word, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. You could just wait to see him. They surrounded him. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, full of courage, let loose. 
rulers and leaders of the people. If we had been brought to trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'd be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. Verse 13, they, the qualified ones, the ones who stood around casting, couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, their fascination deepened when they realized that these two laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They were unschooled, uneducated, unqualified. They had no credentials. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. But with the man right before them, seeing him stand there so upright, so healed, what could they say? Church, what can people say when you do it in the power and the name of Jesus Christ? You don't have to. I am not against formal education. We encourage C3 College here. We encourage Alpha Crucis. We encourage formal education. We have more than a dozen people in our church doing formal education. I'm not against this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is that when we do this full of courage of the Holy Spirit, we can turn left. We can reach our neighbor. You don't have to wait to know the Bible back to front. You don't have to read this in one year. Yes, read it in one year. But you don't have to in order to go next door and to share the gospel with your brother and your sister, your neighbor. You don't need the credentials to do it. You need the passion of the heart. I find this passage both inspiring and deflating at the same time. Inspiring in the knowledge that the unqualified are standing up to the aristocratic bullies. Yet deflating in the comprehension that for every Peter and John who were prepared to step out in assurance that God has equipped them, there are so many of us who only turn right. Not in this church. We're a church that turns left. But isn't it interesting? I don't believe we get to the T intersection and not turn left because we don't want to, because it's in us. We love them. We do it because we don't believe we have the credentials. And because we don't have the credentials, we don't believe we have the skills. What will I say to them? What about if they ask me a question about, about Jesus? Tell them your testimony. It's your story. No one can debate your story. Once I was lost, now I am found. I'm going to heaven. How about you? We don't have the skills, so then we sometimes don't feel the support. What I encourage in this one, church, it's a passion of the heart. It's a passion of the heart. You don't need the credentials. You need the passion of the heart. Second point is this. It's not the credentials. It's the desire of the heart. It's not the credentials. It's the desire of the heart. I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings. 
I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip to verse 5 because we're not going to have time. Verse 1, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. Solomon's married into the, into the royal family here. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building, building his palace. Verse 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. I love this. I absolutely love this. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ah, oh, God. I desire. Tell me, what do you want? He'll, he'll do that to me when I'm ready. Because I think if he'd done it earlier on, I'd say, yeah, wouldn't mind a pay rise. Wouldn't mind this. God said to Solomon, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Man, that's kind of cool. Solomon replied in this, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on the throne. Now, O oh Lord, my God, who has just asked me, what do you want? Ask for anything in the world. It's kind of like, you know, rubbing the, the bottle thingy, whatever it is. Yeah, genie, that's the one. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know... They, they cannot be counted. Verse 9. This is what Solomon said. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. God said to Solomon, what do you want? Ask of it and I will give to you. And he says, give me wisdom. Seriously? Seriously, Solomon? God says... Ask of it and I will give to you. And Solomon says, give me wisdom. Why? In order that I can speak well to the people who are on the left. Do you understand it? Solomon wanted to make sure that whoever in his kingdom, that he had the right words to say, whether they were millionaires, whether they've just come out of prison, wherever it is, God, Solomon asked God for wisdom. It's not the credentials, it's the desire of the heart. There is nothing wrong with pursuing. There is nothing wrong with pursuing. There is nothing wrong with pursuing. Hear me on this. There is something wrong when pursuing becomes our idol. We need to desire the things of God more than we desire the things of the world. Solomon was offered the world, yet he desired wisdom. Give me an understanding heart so that I can reach people on their journey and help build them into becoming better people. Point three. Final point. Point three. I haven't even got a point three. Yes, I have. I thought I had a point three. I do have a point three. Point three is this. It's not the credentials... It's the willingness of the heart to go. It's not the credentials. It's the willingness of the heart to go. We can be guilty of loving people and serving them when it suits us. We can be guilty of loving people in our community and, and really doing the best for them, but only when they come into our sandpit and play. We can be guilty of, of having all the right strategies and structures and everything in place, but only if they play by our rules. 
The world doesn't play by our rules. The rules were broken back with Adam and Eve. The rules were broken back with Adam and Eve. We have to have a willingness to go. It's not the credentials we have. We've got to have a willingness to go. How many times this week is a question I asked myself last night. I desired to watch the footy. The girls weren't home. Thought I'd watch the footy. And God said, no, get on your knees. How many times this week God said to me, have I placed an opportunity in front of you and you came up with every way and every reason as to why you couldn't go? And I was like, but God, I've gone full-time ministry. Come on, man. Talk to the other people. Huh? I've already done my bit. I've given up my career for this. You got the wrong dude here. And God said, no, I've got the right one. I'm talking to you. How interested were you, he said to me, in making sure that structures were right and systems were right. They're not, I'm not saying we don't do them, but making sure these were right when there was people crying out because they don't know Jesus yet. And he said to me, yeah, you can preach on not having the credentials. You can preach on the passion and the desire. I'm hearing you, you're there. You're getting a tick for this, but there's gotta be a willingness to go. And when you go, you don't go because I tell you to go down to Hewan Valley at three o'clock. You've got to go because God's placed it on your heart to want to pray for these people. Don't go if I'm just telling you to go. Don't go. I'll go and pray. Sharon will pray. Ali will pray. Lizzie will pray. Don't go if we're just telling you. Seek God. Seek God on this. Have a willingness in your heart and a desire to want to go. Have that desire to want to go. I re-watched this video at about two o'clock this morning. And I said, God, just give me one more thing in this. One more thing. And he gave me a passage out of Matthew 9. And it was this, Jesus went through all the towns. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, not the ones that were wealthy, not the ones where there was only the credentialed aristocrats there. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching and preaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And He healed every kind of disease and illness. When He saw the crowds, when He saw the ones He wanted to, He did what He needed to. No, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helped Helpless. Church, our society is confused and helpless. They just don't know it. They might have the credentials. They might have the name after on their business card. But if they do not have the message of hope of Jesus Christ in their life, they are confused and helpless. They might be the mayor. They might be the premier. Pray for our premier. 
They might be the business leaders. They might be the doctors. They might be switched on. They might be the school teachers. They might be the, the, the people out there. They might be the ones who surround it. They might be the ones out there that influence us. They might be our celebrities. They might be out there. Unless they know the message of hope of Jesus Christ, they are helpless. And we have the message of hope. We have the message of hope. This series is on equipping. And our prayer is that during this month, that each one of us understands that God has given us gifts and skills and talents in order that we may turn left. If you've got the credentials, amen. It helps. But our job that God has put before us, so clear in the book of Ephesians, is that God has equipped us with gifts and talents and skills. God has a gift us, gifted us with His grace in order that we may turn left. He's equipped us in order that we will equip others. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes where you are. I'm not going to spend long on this. I want us to finish with a song. I want us to finish in praise and worship. But I want to say this this morning. I'm just going to make it very, very clear. If you do not know the message of hope that Jesus has given to us, if you do not know that Jesus died on the cross for you, that He has equipped you, that He has given you grace, that He has set you free, if you do not know that, or maybe you already knew that, but you've walked away from that, I'm going to just ask right now, while all eyes are closed, to just raise your hand. I'm not going to get you to come out the front now. I'm literally going to get you just to raise your hand where you are. Is there anybody here this morning? Thank you, I can see that hand. Is there anyone else? You may have known this in the past, but you may have walked away from it. You may have walked away from this. You may think to yourself, well, I needed credentials. I tried out this stuff, but it didn't work. Thank you, I can see that hand as well. Is there anybody else? Just where we are, we're gonna stand in just one moment and we're gonna praise God. Thank you, I can see that hand. Today is the day. God has equipped you. God has set you free. Is there anybody else to join these three here today? Thank you, I can see that hand. If our pastoral care team can just uh, get around these people. Thank you, I can see that hand. Is there anyone else just in these last 15 seconds? Thanks for our pastoral care team can just see these hands here because our pastoral care team are going to come alongside you and they're going to pray with you. They're going to share with you. Thank you, there's one. There's another one just here in the third row. There's another one down the back there. Is there anybody else right now? You may have walked away. You may walk away and you're saying, no, God, today is the day when I know I may not have the credentials, but you've equipped me and I'm going to turn left. I'm going to walk in your ministry. I'm going to walk in what you have for me. Is there anybody else just right now? Just join these three. Fantastic. Our pastoral care team are going to get around it. One here in the third row. Fantastic. They're going to get around you. They're going to pray for you. Just up here. Thanks, John. As we do that, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? We're going to sing this song. What are we going to sing? Yeah. Let our, let, 
Let our faith, come on, that's what it's about. Let our faith become a mount. Let's stand, let's praise God. Let's give Him all the honour and all the glory in His mighty name.